From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on September 29th, 2023 at South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. This episode is dedicated to the second Republican presidential debate. That's right, it's a long one, so strap in, folks. We watched the two hours of seven people talking over each other, so you don't have to. That's right, we're bringing you the biggest hits and the cringiest moments, just to name a few. Oh, brother! In fact, the detente between former Governor Nikki Haley and Senator Tim Scott thawed out and got steamy on stage in California. We have all of it for you. We also analyzed the debate with USC political science chair Kirk Randazzo. And join us in the wind-down section where our intern Grace checks in with us about the biggest news of the week. And it was not the debate, folks. The lead loves hearing from everyone. That's why we have a voicemail box set up so you can share your thoughts, your hot takes, your questions, and everything in between. 803-563-7169. Give us a shout. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what is going on in your world. We love hearing from you guys. 803-563-7169. It was at times cordial, spicy, cringy, and overall reminiscent of my parents' divorce. That's right, I'm talking about the second presidential debate. Ah, now we didn't have that cool music during our divorce. Mm. Mm, Now that sounds more like it. But yes, this debate was highly anticipated by everyone. And by everyone, I mean those folks who are struggling to stay relevant in this race and visible in a field where former President Donald Trump has been the front runner for months and has only gotten stronger despite his criminal indictments. Yes, these debates are very much part Hunger Games auditioning for donors and media coverage and part combat, like that scene in Dark Knight where Joker Heath Ledger snaps a pool cue in two and makes the two rival gang members fight to join his posse. It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of where we were. But instead of two people, there were seven of them on the debate stage. Yes, sadly, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson did not make the cut. But he's still running. Now, like in The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger leaves that back room while the fight to the death takes place. And Trump has done the same thing. He skipped this debate to give a speech at a non-union auto parts factory in Michigan. While the very unionized United Auto Workers were on the picket line, which is where President Joe Biden was on Tuesday in Detroit. But let's get back to the cage match where several candidates attack Trump a little bit. Here, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie hits Trump on the border, How you doing? something that former Governor Nikki Haley follows up on as well, under the context of fentanyl trafficking in China. I'll tell you this, Donald Trump failed on this as well. He said he was going to build a wall across the whole border. He built 52 miles of wall and said Mexico would pay for it. Guess what? I think if Mexico knew that he was only going to build 52 miles, they might have paid for the 52 miles. But we're going to go after China because China is the one sending the fentanyl in the first place. And we will end all normal trade relations until China stops sending fentanyl. And then we'll do the special operations and we'll get it from both sides. This is where President Trump 
went wrong. He focused on trade with China. He didn't focus on the fact that they were buying up our farmland. He didn't focus on the fact that they were killing Americans. He didn't focus on the fact that they were stealing $600 billion in intellectual property. He didn't focus on the fact that they put a spy base off our shores in Cuba. They didn't focus enough on the fact that all of our law enforcement drones in America are Chinese, and we've got all these little surveillance cells. We need to start focusing on what keeps Americans safe. That hasn't happened in a long time. As your president, I will make sure every American is safe and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. This debate started cordially enough. Folks were a little better behaved. That's because they were, after all, at their grandfather's house, Ronald Reagan's presidential library in California. But in an effort to prove his presence, or as Politico said, Pulse, Senator Tim Scott started getting chippy. (laughs) Including with 38-year-old biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who toned down his attacks on fellow Republicans this go-round, hoping his opponents would forget his first debate performance. Tim Scott did not. We think about the fact that Vivek just said we were all good people, and I appreciate that because last debate, he said we were all bought and paid for. And I thought about that for a little while and said, you know, I can't imagine how you could say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded Hunter Biden, millions of dollars, was a partner this of yours as well. It's not nonsense. So look, do you, do you here's not, what I, 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 I want to respond. These, these are good people who are tainted by a broken system. And it's not the fault I, I of anybody who's involved. Some of us are tainted Excuse me. Some of that good crosstalk right there. Everyone loves that, right? With Scott not even giving Ramaswamy time to respond. And the moderators, well, they kind of just let it happen. They also asked DeSantis about the controversial Florida education curriculum that anti-critical race theory curriculum, which noted that enslaved people benefited from slavery by gaining skills. This led into another tangle with Scott, the only black Republican in the race and in the Senate. Here's DeSantis. First of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, We are not going to be doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars, so we need to stop playing these games. Here's the deal. Our country's education system is in decline because it's focused on indoctrination, denying parents' rights. Florida represents the revival of American education. We're ranked number one in the nation in education by U.S. News and World Report. My wife and I, we have a six, five, and three-year-old. This is personal to us. We didn't just talk about universal school choice, we enacted universal school choice. We didn't just talk about parents' bill of rights, we enacted the parents' bill of rights. We eliminated critical race theory and we now have American civics and the Constitution in our schools in a really big way, just like President Reagan asked for in his farewell address back in 1989. Florida is showing how it's done. We're standing with parents and our kids are benefiting. There is not a redeeming quality in slavery. He and Kamala should have just taken the one sentence out. America has suffered because of slavery, but we've overcome that. We are the greatest nation on earth because we faced our demons in the mirror and made a decision. So often we think that all the issues, you talked about crime and education and healthcare, we always think that those issues go back to slavery. Here's the challenge though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided 
to put money where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment, in crime, in devastation. If you want to restore hope, you've got to restore the family, restore capitalism, and put Americans back at work together as one American family. Our nation continues to go in the right direction. It's why I can say I have been discriminated against, but America is not a racist country. Never, ever doubt who we are. We are the greatest country on God's green earth. And frankly, the city on the hill needs a brand new leader. And I'm asking for your vote. Yes, Senator Scott said welfare programs were harder for black families to survive than hundreds of years of slavery. Programs like Head Start, which he praised during the debate. One of the things I did as a member of Congress was to make sure that we protected the Head Start programs around the country, giving people the opportunity to pick and choose the place that they send their children. But Scott's biggest tangle came near the very end of the already messy debate when moderator Dana Perino set up a confrontation with him and Haley. In 2013, Governor Haley hired you for the Senate. I'd like you to tell her why you should be promoted to CEO of the nation instead of her. Certainly. One of the things I'd say is if you look at our national debt of $33 trillion, I would love to have an opportunity to have this country pass a balanced budget amendment. That would constrain the spending in Washington in the same fashion that it does in every state in our nation, number one. Number two, if you want to actually reduce our national debt, you have to grow our economy. In order to grow our economy, you need to create about 10 million jobs to grow our economy at 5%. You can do that in three specific sectors. Number one, the energy sector. We could create between three and three and a half million jobs if we unleashed all of our energy resources. America is the most, we're the richest country if you combine coal, gas, and oil. Why not unleash all of our resources? Number two, we've lost 100,000 factories, 100,000 factories in the last 25 years. If we continued on my Made in America plan, we could bring jobs back to America in a similar fashion that we did when I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We actually lowered the corporate tax from 35% to 21%, reshored or repatriated $1.7 trillion. We brought the unemployment rates for African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians to the lowest level in the history of the country and a 70-year low for women. Governor Haley, would you think you you would... Well, Deserve first the promotion of all, I think, him. look, I, I appreciate Tim. We've known each other a long time, but he's been there 12 years and he hasn't done any of that. He well, hasn't, actually, they've only given four I, budgets well, on time in 40 years. He was part the of biggest, that. The he increased the national in the debt. History. He voted for the spending. You voted he has for, made you, sure that the you borders are open and they haven't done anything. Look at everything that's 12 years. Where have you been? Where have you been, Tim? So Haley was definitely ready there to pounce in her classic style, again, showing that she's willing to defend herself and best others, including those that she helped get to the dance in the first place. Remember, she appointed Scott to fill former Senator Jim DeMint's seat back in 2012. So much for payback. But a few minutes later, Scott circled back to Haley in a moment that checked off the South Carolina gas tax and curtains from debate bingo cards. Uh, Yeah, they were both on my card, folks. And I will simply say, I would love to finish my conversation with Nikki as it relates to the job that needs to get done. Nikki offered a 
10% 10 gas tax increase in South Carolina. Talk about someone who has never seen a federal dollar she doesn't like. 10 cents on the gallon in South Carolina as the UN ambassador, you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains and a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube you want to know what that 10 cent yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will Here's pass what it is if you will give us three. All you have to do is go watch Nikki Haley on YouTube. If you will give me three times the deduction in income tax, then I will look at your gas so tax, you said, which yes, is why it didn't happen. Secondly, secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them, Did back? You send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are scrapping. Here's a, here's you are a, scrapping. I'm scrapping. Bingo. <laughs> Yes, Haley was only in favor of raising the gas tax if there were other tax offsets. Trust me, I covered that debate ad nauseum. The 12 cent gas tax increase was eventually passed by the legislature in 2017 without Governor Henry McMaster's signature. And those curtains? Well, I also remember when that New York Times story first broke because I was like, what? But then I also remember when they had to heavily retract it. So if those are the biggest attack lines against Haley, two inaccurate jabs, it appears she has managed to get through a bit unscathed. Haley was already warmed up for these overpowering moments because she had already got into it with Ramaswamy, her favorite foil in the field. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Hmm. Because I can't believe you know, they hear you've Haley, got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. <laughs> that means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get me just text say, messages, they can get all I, this of these is important. things. This is China very important knows for our exactly party. What they're this doing. is very very important and what we've party, seen and I'm is say you've it. gone and you've we helped China build, make medicines in China, not America. You are now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of no. us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We so can't me, trust you. We can't have TikTok in our kids' lives. Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 15 seconds. I think, excuse me, And I didn't want us to get out of here without some objectively cringy moments. Here's our minute of nonpartisan objective cringe moments featuring former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie oh. and former Vice President Mike Pence. Look, I do disagree with something Tim Scott just said. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. Zing! This public school system is no longer run by the public. It is run by the teachers unions in this country. Randy Weingarten and her crew are absolutely strangling. They are taking the worst of their members and defending them rather than advocating for our kids. And when you have the President of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers union. Ah. Because by way of full disclosure, Chris, you mentioned the president's situation. I, my wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers union, but I got to admit, I've, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. and. Um, Okay. The New York Times found that DeSantis had the most speaking time at 12 minutes, 17 seconds, 
followed by Ramaswamy, Scott with 10 minutes and 42 seconds, and Haley with just over nine minutes of talking. The topics that got the most discussion time were the border, government spending, education, and foreign policy. Folks who got attacked the most include Ramaswamy, DeSantis, Haley, and Scott. Okay, so you heard all that fun, and I hope you're still listening because we have further analysis from the University of South Carolina Political Science Chair, Dr. Kirk Randazzo, who I spoke with on This Week in South Carolina. Joining me now to discuss the latest on the 2024 presidential campaign trail this week is Kirk Randazzo. He's a political science chair at the University of South Carolina. Kirk, always great to have you on set. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So, Kirk, a lot to talk about, obviously. Uh, we're just now five months away from the South Carolina primary, a little over three months to the Iowa caucuses, and we just had our second Republican debate this week. The debate was two hours long. It started off pretty cordially, but that didn't last very long. I just want to ask you kind of uh, what you took away from this debate. Well, I think there were a couple of points, the, the most obvious of which is that Donald Trump did not participate again. And here's the, the front runner in all the polls that is just not adhering to the norms of a primary cycle. Uh, but his absence notwithstanding, I think some other good takeaways were how other candidates performed, especially Nikki Haley. I think she had a remarkable debate again. Uh, very similar to what she did the first time around. And you saw some other candidates like Tim Scott in particular try and establish himself a, a bit more, maybe emerge a bit more from the pack and not really clear whether he was successful or not. And then I think the third sort of major takeaway was the absence of Mike Pence, even though he was on the stage he really didn't seem to contribute much to that debate at all. And I think his performance was a lot less than what he had hoped. When we talk about what expectations were, do you think that the folks delivered on what they were expected to do in that debate? Any major gaffes, anything kind of maintaining their status? Well, I, I think they delivered from the standpoint of the, the secondary figures to Donald Trump. So they were able to talk maybe a bit more about their ideas or their policy goals, but where I think they failed is in terms of demonstrating to the average voter why they should pick that candidate rather than Donald Trump. There, there was a little bit of attention given to Trump, but really not nearly enough, no conversations about electability or any of Trump's weaknesses, maybe with the exception of Chris Christie, he always kind of comes out punching. How you doing? But, but none of the other candidates really took the reins to carve out their space in relation to Donald Trump. Instead, they carved out their space in relation to each other. Yeah, and then kind of sticking with Trump here, uh, didn't really seem to be effective like we were saying. Though his campaign did feel the need to send out an email toward the end of the debate titled The Real Nikki Haley and kind of just talking about some of the things that she stood for, uh, Ukraine, flip-flopping on running for president, other things. Uh, but these were just links to articles, not statements. Uh, she's still polling a solid number two in South Carolina, New Hampshire, and that was because of that big debate bounce in the first debate. Do we see something similar happening after this one for Haley? 
I think so. I, I think out of all the people on the stage, she had a remarkable performance again. So this is now two in a row. And, and I think the extent to which we see the poll numbers shift in any real or meaningful way, it will be in Nikki Haley's favor. I think she demonstrated that she knows the issues. She's not afraid to throw some elbows back and forth. You know, she and Tim Scott got into it a little bit. She and Ramaswamy got into it a lot again. Uh, and she had some, some really funny lines to respond to potential attacks on her. And I think it just demonstrated that she's got the material to be president of the United States. Yeah, do you think that gets across, I mean, she gets those zingers in, like you said with Ramaswamy. I mean, it kind of was like debate part two, but then we also saw her and Tim Scott, like you said, get into it because uh, one of the moderators, Dana Preen, was kind of setting that up towards the end of the debate. Right. Like, let's see what's going on between you two because there are so many similarities between them. Yeah, and for, for Haley and Scott in particular, I think they need to distinguish themselves, not just from Trump, but in particular from each other. Otherwise, they run the risk of splitting the vote in South Carolina and, and they really need this state in order to get some momentum going into Super Tuesday. And, and so I think Haley, with, with her jabs, with her responses, I think she had a better showing than Tim Scott did and, and really is likely to give the average voter some information that they didn't otherwise have that maybe sways things in her direction. Mm -hmm. Really making the most of those uh, few coveted seconds that they have to answer these questions, but also get a jab in too. Uh, I saw a Politico headline that said, Tim Scott has a pulse. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's the headline I would want coming out of a debate. I would hope folks that would recognize me, but that was because of the first debate, he was kind of fading in the background there. And I think at one point during this past debate, uh, a lot of questions were kind of going around the first half. And he said, can you all not see me? I heard him say that at one point because he wasn't getting enough time too. But in the back half, there was a lot more going on with that energy, that dynamic between them. Uh, so did he register with folks more so this time, even though maybe it didn't so, go all the way? So I think he had a better performance this time than, than the first one. You're right. The first one, he was an incredibly minor player and, and really didn't get much attention at all. This time around... He got into the fray a bit more, but I'm not sure it was enough simply because of the fact that he, he always sort of fell back on his typical talking point, how, you know, his life is maybe an exception to the rule, though he doesn't frame it that way. He just says, hey, if I could do it, anybody could do it. And, and I'm not entirely sure that's a message that resonates mm -hmm. with many people. And so he needed to change things up a little bit, and he did so, I think, at the margins, but I'm not sure it was enough to really get a significant bump in any of the polls that we're about to see coming out the next few days. Mm -hmm. And that's what, when I talked to Trump voters this past week when he was in town in Somerville, uh, you hear them say that they like his grittiness. They like when Trump is not the nicest guy when he's hitting back against people. So I think we're maybe seeing some more of that tenacity coming out of Nikki Haley. Uh, and Tim was trying to get some of that. He was trying to uh, scrape a little bit with there with Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, you hear DeSantis trying to be like the adult in the room too. I mean, is everyone trying to channel that Trump, Trumpyism, uh, that attitude, but can't really go full bore? Yeah, I think, I think the lesson that all candidates, Republican and Democrat alike, need to learn from this is that 
a very large segment of the population is just mad. They're, they're mad that things aren't better than they, they should be. They're mad at the economy, at inflation, at wages that aren't keeping up. They're mad that folks in Washington, D.C. don't seem to represent their interests. And so there's a lot of anger that's out there. Trump, whether you love him or hate him, has done a remarkable job tapping into that anger. And I think some of the other candidates are trying to do that, but not send the signal that they will have maybe other behaviors that are less appealing that Donald Trump seems to exhibit. And that's a really difficult line to walk. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure anybody has mastered that approach yet. I think they're still trying to, to feel out different talking points, different phrases to see what might resonate with the populace. Yeah, because the Mr. Nice Guy bit maybe doesn't work entirely well for Tim Scott. <laughs> right, yeah, it, and it, I think it works when it comes to governing, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily work when it comes to campaigning, and, and that's sort of the big difference. And I think that's a difference that Donald Trump sort of forgot about. His four years in the presidency felt like one giant campaign still, and there was less of an emphasis on actually governing. And I think the folks on stage last night are trying to play up the governing side of things, but forgetting that all of this needs to be couched within a campaign. And you have to demonstrate that you are willing to fight for the beliefs you have, for the ideals that you articulate. And then that kind of goes into electability on, on top of all that. You know, the primary is so different from the general election but it doesn't seem to matter right now. According to polls, folks still want Trump across the board, whether it's in early voting states or in national polls. How does that mesh with what we're hearing from these candidates right now then? Well, I think the one thing we should all recognize is that polls this far out are wildly inaccurate. That six months from now, when we see things that happen on the ground during the primaries or maybe during some of the trials that, that Donald Trump is facing, those numbers are gonna shift. And as we get closer to November, those numbers are gonna shift pretty dramatically. Um, so right now, polls give us a, a snapshot of where people are in time but I'm not sure they're very useful in predicting what will happen when it comes time to vote for particular candidates. So, mm -hmm. so I think we gotta take all that with a, with a grain of salt. That said, I think for Joe Biden in particular, the early polls should be of a concern because he's, he's trying to point to all these accomplishments over the last couple of years and that message doesn't seem to be resonating with people, at least not to the point where it's moving the needle on any of those polls. And so I think Biden should, should change the message that he's arguing to the American people right now. And for someone like Donald Trump or any of the other candidates, I think they need to recognize this is where the electorate is currently, at least within the Republican primary, this is where they are currently, and if we don't play to that, we're not going to even be in the general election, let alone have a chance to win. So, mm -hmm. so I do think there's information candidates can take, 
for the rest of us, I, I wouldn't use it as any kind of predictor for what will happen next November. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about three minutes left, Kirk, and I want to ask you just about uh, what we can expect going forward. Now, obviously, we're talking months from now, but let's talk about a couple weeks from now when we're going to have the third debate, November 8th. Candidates will need to have 70,000 individual donors and hit 4% either two national polls or one national poll and two polls from uh, separate early voting states. I'm expecting us not to see as many people on that debate stage next yeah. time. Will we start seeing people dropping out when the, the writing's on the wall? I mean, what's it going to take for these folks to say, okay, not going to happen? Yeah, and that's, I think that's an excellent question. We've, we've seen a couple of candidates drop already, but you heard last night the final question from Dana Perino was, hey, who should get voted off the island? <laughs> a little cringy right? moment. And it, right, and it was an awkward, awkward moment. Um, but I do think... One of many, right? One of many, exactly. <laughs> I do think, though, candidates are going to have to start asking themselves mm. very seriously, is it worth staying in the race? And I'm thinking people like Burgum, Christie, Pence, maybe even Tim Scott that are polling still in the single digits in, in many polls, that's gonna be a very difficult decision for them to make. But you're right, the bar for the third debate has gone up, it's mm -hmm. gone up every single time. This is why we lost Hutchinson mm -hmm. from Arkansas. I think these other candidates are really gonna have to weigh whether it's worth staying in and whether they're gonna have the money mm -hmm. to stay in, because that's the other big question. Will donors continue to contribute mm -hmm. to the campaigns of people that are just scraping by at the margins? I'm not sure that's going to happen. And so folks, I think, are going to start dropping out in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, you do see them still raising money here and there, sometimes in the millions. But uh, these debates also provide a... Uh, a way for these donors to kind of look on in a Hunger Games type style way sure. of saying who can do what and you know, it helps them and it hurts many of them too. Uh, so really quick, anything that you're watching for besides that in the coming weeks on the campaign trail? I, I'm really waiting to see candidates take Donald Trump on directly. Mm -hmm. It's still been very hesitant at best, maybe kid gloves with a jab here and there, but nothing, nothing really of substance. And I think in the next couple of weeks, that has to happen in order for them to gain any kind of traction. The second thing I'm very curious to see is the extent to which Trump is gonna duck the third debate. Mm. So he got some criticism last night for not being there on stage. Will the other candidates, or maybe more importantly, will the Republican Party put pressure on Trump to participate in the third one? That's a huge question, and, and I'd, love to see, I'd love to see him on stage and get into that debate. I'm just not sure that he, is, that, that he will. Mm -hmm. And so if he doesn't, what kind of consequences or repercussions might he face for just blowing all of that off? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's a huge question that we'll find out in the next few weeks. Yeah, it's an ever-changing landscape when it comes to politics All in America. A lot to watch for. That's USC Political Science Chair Kirk Randazzo. Kirk, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Great to be with you. That was University of South Carolina Political Science Chair Dr. Kirk Randazzo with me on Twisk. Thank you so much, Kirk. And we're also going to be looking at and following the initial fallout of that debate, including viewership, which tumbled to 9.3 million people from the August debate viewership of 12.8. That was from Nielsen.
NBC News is also reporting that major donors are eyeing Haley and DeSantis now as the top Trump alternatives. The two have been doing the real clear politics polling two-step, trading places here and there in early state polls for that distant second place spot to Trump. Now Haley does hold a larger margin than her opponents over a Biden matchup next November. Key phrase, next November. Things change, people change, polls change, folks. Reporter Logan Phillips on X, ugh, Twitter, let's just call it Twitter, posted that Ramaswamy and Haley were the two top candidates searched during the debate per Google Trends. And I'm sorry to report that the Leeds Magic 8-Ball is missing and cannot be found right now. Um, but I have no information for you regarding whether or not the federal government will shut down this weekend due to Republican gridlock in Washington. The lead, however, will not be affected by any shutdown. We are staying strong. We are persevering, folks. But we crossed the rider strike picket line pretty badly. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. AT, I'm glad you're here too. Oh, I'm so glad that you're glad. We have uh, a special guest, but I can't say anymore. Yeah, that's a tease. That's Actually, a tease. I think I say it in the intro of this episode. So that's maybe, good. Hey, yeah. we record very, this before you know the end, yeah. Yeah, before the beginning. But this so. is the first appearance of said special guest. Correct. So. And we're very excited. So without further ado, do you want to get straight into this voicemail? Yeah, let's get, let's get a voicemail. Okay, first. we got a voicemail from an old friend calling in to, I don't know, give us some flowers. Huh? That, that we're the, the best uh, form of media in the world. So here we go, Gavin. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, fellas. It's Butt Dial Bob calling from the upstate. Just wanted to um, compliment you. Uh, I, I like what you're doing uh, again. Uh, the other thing I'm going to mention is that some of uh, your competition has begin, begun to imitate you, which I guess is flattery. Uh, I am uh, hearing other podcasts, including Hatch on Tap and the Potomac Watch, um, taking voicemail calls. So congratulations, and uh, keep up the good work, fellas. Bye. Well, thank you, Bump Dial Bob, for that lovely praise right there. I don't know if we invented it, but I'm going to go ahead and say we did. We perfected it, if yeah, anything. So, for sure. Uh, and also, Gavin likes to point out that uh, we have no competition, okay? <laughs> maybe meet the press, you know? Maybe. Maybe, maybe now that Kristen Walker's there, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, but that's well, about it. face the nation. I mean, I'm not going to compete with Margaret. Yeah, well. Uh, <sighs> but maybe meet maybe. the press. Anyway, Gavin, you teased our guest. Let's get to it. Who do we have in studio with us here? We have our intern, Grace. Say hello, Grace. Hi. Oh, yes. We have intern, Grace. So is... Who are you first off, Grace? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Okay. I'm Grace. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm a senior at USC majoring in political science. And naturally, she comes on the most illustrious podcast in the the entire country, probably. So true. I'm honored to be a part of this. There's there's our podcast, and then there's Obama's and Springsteen's right (laughs) under that. Uh, Anyway, Grace, we uh, when we have interns, we have them on, and they come on on Fridays and pick out, like, the news that the young people are interested in. keep us hip. Yeah, exactly. Gavin and I, we're aging out. (laughs) And so we need people to come in and tell us how old we are. And anyway, last episode, we touched on a, uh, I don't know. The third rail. Third rail. Of a news live, this absolute week. live wire here. And we need you to set us straight on Taylor Swift and Jason, or no, and the worst Kelsey. The worst Kelsey, by the way, go birds. Anyway, the worst Kelsey. Jason Kelsey's bet. So, yeah, when I found out that his brother was on the birds, I was like, oh, 
God. That's why I know all about him anyway. It's so oh, So, uh, Grace, let's ta- let's have your take. Let, well, let's get your Taylor Swift bona fides to start. Yeah, okay? I need mm. to establish my credentials. Thank I you. am a bona fide Swifty. Yeah. I remember going to Best Buy with my dad when I was like seven <laughs> and getting her first album. Like, oh. I love Taylor Swift. I'm in her top 0.05% of listeners on Spotify. Elite. Wow. Like, Elite. You're Elite. talking yeah. to the number one girl we right here. expert here. Okay. Okay. I did not know that when we first discussed this. That's a lot. Very good to yeah. know. That's a lot of listeners. Strong expert here. It's a lot of listeners. I was listening to her on my drive over here today. Okay. Get yeah. amped. Which, which <laughs> yeah. album? I was listening to Evermore, kind of slow, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was just what you came had to, You had to keep the energy down Reputation before Reputation really got me through the summer. Reputation, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, such I'm gonna, a summer I'm gonna, album. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> no, no, no questions at this time. Anyway, Grace, okay, you obviously are a massive fan. What's your take on this? I am obviously a hater because I hate you joy. You are a hater. I Everyone hate, got a taste of that earlier. I yes. hate all joy and, and any sort of uh, people liking anything. So what do you think? Is I this think, real? I think that it is partially real, but partially a business mm, move. Yes. Because Thank you. Partnership. Mm. Because everything that Taylor Swift does is a business move. Literally everything. Yes. I, that's what I. That's where I'm coming at this, and I'm, I'm trying yeah, to give her a I compliment don't, I, here. I don't take it as far as you. <laughs> <laughs> She's not as cold and cynical. I still think that they're real, though. I just think mm-hmm. it's a little bit odd how she's been so private about all of her relationships. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's in the stands with his mom when they haven't been dating for that long because she just broke up with Joe Alwyn not that long ago. Thank you. And so it's a little soon to be meeting the parents. <laughs> but I think I think we're taking a different tack here. Television. I think she's just like, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, the, the swift effect on NFL is like jumping everything. And, I mean, right? the NFL was also uh, already a multi-billion dollar corporation. That's true, yeah. but. So let's not uh, act like she put them on the map. <laughs> but no, she, I keep she put that. on a different map. A different map, she that's put true. Travis Kelsey on the map for girls, I feel like. Girls who don't watch football anyway. I knew sure. who Travis Kelsey was. My dad is a big NFL fan. But I keep seeing girls on TikTok saying they had no idea who he was before. And now, like, everyone wants to buy a jersey. The jersey sales increased 400%, which mm-hmm. is insane. It is crazy. But I think that everything that Taylor Swift does is a business deal because Thank that's you. how it has to be. Because yes. she's so famous. That's what the world is. Exactly. I mean, that's what exactly. it is. You don't so, just get in a relationship with someone and be like, I'm sure it's going to be okay. My, <laughs> my whole thing, though, is that, she's like. She's a little bit more maybe shrewd because it's at that level. But it's like, oh, if it checks out, let's see what we can create here. And maybe, maybe if AT allows us, we can have happiness. <laughs> I'm just more like, okay, if I'm going to give her credit for being the savvy business person that she is, right? Where it, Grace admittedly says that she is. A, everything she does is a calculated business move. But people are acting like she's this spontaneous uh, songwriter who just floats through the world and speaks truth to everything. And like all of her uh, concerts are religious experiences mm-hmm. that, are, are. that are organic, but <laughs> also every move she makes is calculated. Like that, those, those things, those ideas do not jibe with me. But that's the beauty of politics. That's the beauty of religion. <laughs> that's the beauty of a good cult leader. I'm just saying, that's when you have, the, that, ability, that's I'm going. When you have yeah. that ability to have people buy in and see what they want to see, that mm-hmm. makes you, that's that huge X factor that everyone wants. And that's what she has. And then this relationship, I'm not going to call it a true partnership, because uh-huh. I think it's a relationship. Uh-huh. They're not day and other say not day. I love Gavin but, liking love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen to South of Spooky. <laughs> Uh, if, so, I'm allowed to. Listen. I'm allowed to support love, yeah. even if I don't have it. Listen to the Same. Alice Flag <laughs> spooky episode. But uh, you know, I think I think there's some. It, at least it's fun. It's light. You know, um, they have such insane schedules. You know, it's nice to yeah. see this. So I think people like to see happiness because all we have these days is like. <laughs> 
the screaming and the sadness and the uh, darkness. You heard some of that in the, you earlier this in the episode. episode yeah. Of. Yeah, correct. The darkness, much, much darkness. Yes. So yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not like she just found this charming stranger on the street and elevated him to Prince Charming. No, and nothing's. Nothing's real in that sense. I do also want to point out that Travis Kelsey did have a dating show, and it's a little problematic back in the day. I saw. I didn't like look into that, but I saw something about a little that. problematic. And also, old tweets. You don't want to look at them. Okay, don't Google it. Also, not crazy about that outfit that he walked out with. I was like, the 1989. Is that what you're is talking that what that about? Was, it was right? like, like so. The crazy thing that with that is the designer. Like it was titled the 1989, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And of course, Taylor Swift 1989 is an album. That's Great the year album. she was born. Great album. Mm-hmm. But like, so like. <laughs> Everything is calculated down to outfits. Like people think that Taylor Swift drops hints with her hair. Yeah. So like nothing that she does is organic because that's just Thank not you. how she is. Thank you. And like I'm Grace, a huge Taylor Swift you. fan. I love Taylor Swift, and I'm not. You're your Taylor Swift this. fan, eyes wide open here. I don't exactly. think she's looking yeah. every day and saying, "Okay, what metrics do I need to hit so oh, I, I can think be this person?" Is. She's not reading a chart like hair up, hair down today. No, or like I don't think that. Glasses not, not pink that. or white, you but, know. Okay, Grace, where where do you see this going? Ooh, that's where do you the see this going? Part. That's really it's I so delicate. I don't see it going like super far mm-hmm. because it's it just is so weird to me. I already said this, but how like out in the open they already are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time she's had a very long-term boyfriend, they keep it private and she has songs that talk about being private and how she doesn't want the whole world on her page with a relationship. So this because, one started uh, everyone on. Exactly, yeah. because it's so big. It's in every headline. Like mm-hmm. history.org is posting about it. Like, exactly. Which Too is, much. How far we've yeah. come. So, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> because of that, like, I could see it fizzling out soon. Mm-hmm. I hope that she's happy. <laughs> yeah. I think, if anything, if it would just be like a fade, you know, because their schedules, I mean, he's in the thick of NFL. She's on a break from the big tour before and her world she's tour. she's doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, but you know she's not going to be touring during the Super Bowls. We so gotta we gotta start something taking bets on who's <laughs> next. I want to know who's next I, for her to it, choose to pluck out of obscurity. I, it's going to be a hockey player, maybe. Uh, I don't, and also, sports players aren't really in her rotation. Mm-hmm. It's always singers, actors. This is good. I'm happy. I'm happy for this. This dialogue. I don't see it going <laughs> negatively, though it could. And then everyone's gonna start blaming her because yeah. she always gets the blame. So like if true. he starts dropping passes well, and the, stuff the like that. Well, the other people aren't writing slam tracks about it. You know what I mean? She's <laughs> the only one, be, like, making real money off of it. She will, because there will be an album, come what may, of this relationship. Exactly, we're be yes. like, oh, it was about Real Travis. inside the actor's studio on this. <laughs> anyway, with that old person reference, Grace, we do have to go. Thank you so much. We'll have you on next week. Thank okay? you. Yeah, we love insightful. you. Uh, Gavin, hit him with the outro, please. Thank you, Grace, and thank you, Buttdale Bob, for calling. Uh, you just heard quite the breakdown there of the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey relation situationship. We need to know more. 803-563-7169. Please, I don't want to keep talking about this. (laughs) And you can stay updated with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. You aren't mean enough, thank you. Yeah, I think everyone has softened. I wasn't mean enough? That's what Amy just said. I, I didn't want to be mean to Grace.